Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Morning, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't listened to the last few episodes, and this might be the last time I say this because I've been saying this every single week, my name is Nick. I'm now the host of the podcast. I've taken over from Caroline back in June, I think it was. So I'm several episodes in now. Feel free to go back and listen to any previous episodes we got. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. It really supports us. It makes sure that we're motivated to keep the podcast running. That said, we've been thoroughly enjoying it. And something I'm very excited about to start today is our new series on SEO. So I've been talking quite a lot over the last few weeks and months about doing this series. It's going to be our September four episodes all about SEO. And I'm going to have four very special guests joining us to talk about each episode. So we're going to break it down into keywords, which is going to be today's episode. We're going to be then talking about either content or technical. And then the week after, we're going to talk about the other one that we didn't talk about. I don't quite know which order we're going to do them in yet. Because when it comes to an SEO exercise, we sometimes change the order based on what we're finding through our initial research into the website and that sort of thing. So I don't know which way we're going to put those yet. And then the final episode, episode four, we'll be looking at off-site SEO, as we call it. So how to build some brand awareness and get your site up to the top of Google by having some good customer reviews, good social media, etc. So that'll be in three weeks' time from today. But today, I'm very, very excited to be joined by a very good friend of mine called Chris Lars. Chris is an SEO and digital marketing guru. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Nick. How are you? I'm really excited to be on here today. Great stuff. It was great to have you, and I'm very well, thank you. I'm uh, slowly getting used to the new norm, as they call it. How have you guys found stuff down in uh, down in the new forest? Yeah, to be honest, I felt like I've been in a bit of a bubble, if I'm quite honest. I feel slightly guilty by having had such a nice time down here. You know, we, we live up in the forest, and so all, all through lockdown, I was kind of up in the forest running in the morning or in the evening. And both my wife and I have got work from home type jobs that are pretty easy to do from home. So we, yeah, we've, we've actually not had a bad time of it. And that's why I say I feel a little bit guilty, but it's been all right for us. I know what you mean. I think as soon as lockdown started, I instantly got my running shoes back out and was the same as you. We live in the hills. So I was just running through these beautiful green hills. There's local farmyards that I've met loads of my neighbors. Like it's actually been quite nice and social in a way. At the same time, like I've been saying to a lot of people, we're in one of those sort of bubbles, my wife-to-be and I, we're, we've both been working so hard. You know, it's actually been completely relentless in terms of workload and the days we've been putting in and the hours. You know, she's, she's a doctor, so she's been in and out of the hospital constantly just dealing with this pandemic. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been pretty intense. But uh, as, as you say, it's so nice to get out and just sort of see a local area. And uh, certainly meeting neighbours, I think, has been something I wasn't expecting to do, but it's been quite fruitful. So I'm going to dive into the first part of this podcast then, Chris. So 
tell us a bit about yourself, your background. You know, I, I know you've worked in e-commerce, you've been agency side, etc. Give us a sort of 101 of, of the Chris last life. Yeah, so I started my career out in advertising agency land back in the 90s. And, you know, this was pretty much at the dawn of the internet and, and, and web boom. I originally came from South Africa and I arrived here in about 2001. Prior to that, I've just been working in ad agencies and I slowly but surely got really interested in, in the web. And this, this was back in the time when Yahoo and AltaVista were like dominant search engines. So that's what I was optimizing for really at that particular time. So I trained as a web designer and um, I got into designing websites and I then got a real passion for digital marketing. So that's what I really focused on heavily when I moved over to the UK. And after about 12 years um, working in, in agency land here, I worked in like a lot of, uh, interesting, a lot of work, worked in a lot of retail businesses um, during my time um, working in agencies. And I always had this real desire or, I don't know, this, this uh, kind of thing inside me that was like, I want to one, one day run something online that was in retail. And so it was about 12 years ago, um, I had a client who was running a small little kind of niche luxury children's retail business. And she, she'd been probably working, working with myself in a freelance capacity for, I don't know, about like six to 12 months, maybe. And out of the blue, she, she, she told me that she was moving to Dubai. And I decided on a whim, well, it was probably a little bit more of a whim, <laughs> to buy the business from her. And, and so I, I frantically had to find a large chunk of change and I bought this business. The business was called Kids Dreams. It was an e-commerce business, you know, 100%. She'd been running it from her garage and stuff. She was doing about maybe 45,000 pounds a year. And so we, I bought it, took it over with my wife. We built it up um, to run about a million pound turnover. That was over a five or six year period. Um, and then we sold it. And I went back into agency land afterwards. So, I've, yeah, I've, I guess I've had a bit of a varied background but I absolutely loved it. And I've, I've literally built another agency now for the last six years, which um, I've just exited as well, just before COVID hit. And I'm now, I'm now pretty keen to get back into e-tail again, oddly enough. Amazing. Well, I think it's good to have you on the show today, especially as you've got that experience. It's one of the reasons that I was so keen to have you in, Chris, was that you've, you've worked in the e-commerce world. So you'll relate to a lot of our listeners in terms of people who are running Shopify stores and trying to get their business up and creating profit and actually growing somewhere. And some people will even be hoping to earn an income from it at some point. Others will you know, just be working in the industry. But I think given that you've got the agency side, so you've got that expertise and the sort of stuff that I'm constantly going on about and sharing, but equally, you know where the guys are coming from because you've worked on the other side of it. So I think very much looking forward to some of your thoughts you're going to share with us today. So, so diving in today then, we're obviously talking about SEO, we're talking about keyword targeting. Do you want to just give us the Chris Last 101 of keywords? Like what a keyword is, how it works, what do we do with it, etc. And then we'll, we'll kind of flow from there and see where we end up. So my 101, yeah, I guess that, that's kind of changed quite a bit over the last years, a couple of years. You know, I think I've got the value of hindsight over the last 10 to 12 years, having seen the evolution of, of SEO. If we went back, 10 years ago, one of your to-do actions on for your SEO was your keyword list. You know, it was, it was such a big thing. And a, a, you know, a list of search query phrases was kind of what your, your number one thing was to do when you started doing SEO. And, then the, and these search query phrases were probably more than likely going to be what you felt was relevant to, in some way, to your brand. They were probably based on search volume. Or if you were pretty smart, you might have used some of the data from your PPC campaigns 
that showed search query phrases alongside converted sales or something along those lines or, you know, converted leads. And I think that the broad perception of keywords and keyword phrases for a, a large majority of people maybe starting up in, in e-com or something like that is that that's potentially what is still the case. And I, and I think that perception probably needs to change a bit. And we really need to start thinking, if you haven't already, which I've been doing for a while, you know, we should be optimizing for humans, not engines. That's the really important part. And I'm, I'm almost a little bit uneasy at times to, to call SEO optimization nowadays that almost perpetuates that perception a bit. So I think it's really important for us to consider nowadays that we're optimizing for humans and so that when we're doing any research around this area, you need to keep that first and foremost in your head. So thinking, you know, if we had to think back all those years, the way we used to do things now to where, we, where we're going now, you've got such a myriad of different areas that are, are sort of influenced that things like local search or search on a mobile or a tablet, those areas of search have grown enormously and the algorithms behind the big search engines have also grown um, enormously in their ability to deliver search results that meet our intent uh, a lot more um, and i think that intent is the key word here actually to be honest no pun intended search for intent is absolutely critical and thinking about the human involved the customer involved first and foremost and their intent in the search is really critical when you go through the process of choosing keywords. And I like to talk more about, when, rather than keyword, keyword phrases, I lo- like to talk more about subjects or topics that you are optimizing your website for. And so when you begin to think about the searcher intent around a specific topic or a subject, you can begin to draw on the type of queries or phrases that um, your customers may be searching for. I think areas that you might want to consider in, in, in thinking this through, and um, if it's something that's relatively kind of new to you, what I'm, what I'm saying is think about areas like around transactions or informational type gathering, or whether that somebody's navigating. So if, if, if it's a localized search, are they navigating towards somewhere? Is it a particularly commercial area they're searching within? Well, they're just comparing. If you're in e-commerce and you're selling products, is it a comparative type um, search? Uh, th- those are kind of the areas that I tend to often think through when I'm looking at both search intent and the topics that people are looking at. So for me, um, you know, my one-on-one, I guess, is focus heavily on understanding your customer and their intent with search queries rather than looking things like, you know, getting obsessed with things like volume or, or kind of volume of search queries per month. And it's from that that I look to optimize for my kind of chosen keyword subjects or topics. So, yeah, I hope, hope that helps and makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it'd be really good if you could give us an example then. You, you talked about intent. Yeah. It'd be really good to get an example of somebody who does have buying intent and somebody who doesn't, as in the customers. Yeah. So I think that, that's a lot of where a lot of e-commerce businesses get tripped up. So, yeah, it'd be great to have an example of that. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you will have broader-based um, searches where people are starting to do research on a specific product. For example, somebody might be searching, if you're selling clothes, for argument's sake, or shoes or something like that, you know, the type of search queries that are going to be evolving are, are queries around that particular topic. It might be someone looking to see, will, will these shoes match this dress or something along those lines? Or, you know, I'm looking for shoes that are a certain size. 
or comparing prices along shoes. So there is an intent behind those particular search queries, but the intent is probably a little bit away off from there being strong, you know, kind of right, I'm ready to buy type intent. Whereas when you get a little bit further along and, you know, people are actually looking for specific brand names, so maybe a brand name plus a color of a dress or a shoe and the shoe, or the word shoe, the, the intent is probably a little bit stronger at that point. And, you know, including words like compare or um, compare prices or, th- you know, areas such as that, um, the intent side of things gets much more stronger. And so when I talk about intent, there's a specific intent around that particular search query where you're wanting to optimize the area of your website specifically for a sale, as opposed to somebody's intent where they're actually maybe looking for a store. So maybe if they're looking at those same shoes, but they wanted to try them on, or they're looking for a localized store that might sell them in their area, their intent to purchase is slightly different. They might want to go into store. So the type of intent they would be displaying there, they might be looking for even like kind of some kind of service where they could go in and, and get, you know, a one-to-one service trying on a dress or something along those lines. The intent is very, very different in both those type of queries. And so the content or the, the kind of topic, topical content that you want to develop or grow um, on your website around those two areas needs to satisfy that customer's needs. And so you need to think about what you're going to build on your pages and your site to really answer those the questions that are going on in that customer's head and that particular need. And, and I think when you get that right, you begin to, you know, get your your SEO side of things right. Definitely. And obviously the, the whole purpose of keywords as well is to start informing content, isn't it? Yeah. So it's absolutely. to then start, you know, as you've mentioned, it's a sort of like in fact, I'll give you a journey. Something I did uh, last year is I I was walking past a Timberland shop in my local town uh, in Guildford in, in the UK. I was walking past the local Timberland shop and I glanced in and thought, I've never really bought any boots like Timberland boots, but actually they're quite nice. I wonder what they can do. I'm in a hurry. I'm not going to go in there now. So my journey online started with Timberland boots. And then within no time, my next keyword was other alternative boots to Timberland, which is where actually I then found some bloggers. I found some blogs on other retailers' sites. I found some social media tweets. I found a YouTube video. And then the reality was I did go back and buy the Timberland boots. But the the search journey I went through to get there was, you know, as you say, my intent to buy initially was like zero. Like, I, I'm not looking to buy them. I just want to know what they're about. And then the place I actually bought them from as well is I went down to uh, one of their outlet shops because they had the pair I wanted in the outlet shop half price. Now, I'm not always one to go and find a bargain, but I was just a bit like, well, that's right next to where my parents live. I'm going to be down there on Saturday. I'll just do click and collect. Like, it makes a lot of sense. I purchased it online click and collect, turned up. And because it was an outlet store, I got there and they said, oh, normally if you spend a certain amount, you get this free thing, but you've not got that because you've done click and collect, but we can still honor it. So I got a shoe care kit as well. So one thing they fell over, I think, in the SEO journey, certainly in terms of that content, and I think this is a really key point, actually, and we'll, we'll probably cover this more in the content one as well, is with the keywords, you want to add value. And I think it's really, really key, as you've mentioned with the, you know, if you're looking for a certain pair of shoes and you want to try them on, well, firstly, you need to know customers want to try them on because they may not have actually put that into their keywords. But if they do want to try them on or go and you know have some sort of personal shopping experience, having that as a USP on the landing page, a lot of people won't use it. But just knowing it exists means that it's not you know it's not just a, a product on a web page now. It's a brand. It's an experience. There's humans I can go and interact with if I like. 
that's the service I'm getting, even if I put it in the cart and buy it online. So I think the intent point is really, really key. It's massively important. And I think your, your example there is really good because we're in the midst of a really you know, strange period where I don't think any of us living today would have expected us to be living through COVID. Nowadays, like you've got the added concern for retailers, and I'm talking slightly bigger retailers with an e-com store and, and a shop, um, where people are generally relatively apprehensive about going into kind of stores and stuff but there are still products where you know you do need to do that shoes are a prime example yeah definitely um, and you know, you're going to try them on and so your topical content there around that search query especially when you go local search you know you need to start thinking about what what can i include in my localized search optimization that is going to make that customer feel really safe about coming into store. So is there something I can do with my optimization from a local point of view on my search query page? Terrible word, search query page. But on the, on the page, when, when somebody does a search that is going to make a, a customer feel comfortable. And so it's always thinking about your customer first when, you, when you're thinking about building up these topical you know, lists of keywords that you're, you're trying to work with. It's really important. Absolutely. And I think just to give an example of some of the actual keywords, the things you might target, and this is, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to put this specifically into the site, but some, yeah, something you might target for a local shoe shop is, you know, my example of Guildford's, Timberlands might say, well, our shoes are our most popular item. So in Timberlands, we're going to optimize all of our store pages for Timberland and then shoes, Guildford or boots, Guildford, things like that. And that will just be on the Guildford store page of the website. So they'll call it that. They'll talk about the fact that this store has X, you know, X, XYZ person as the manager. And then the manager is an expert in, and then there'll be links actually going into the product categories themselves to say, you know, we're experts in shoes, we have clothing here. And they may even have a big, you know, a couple of big X's over hats and gloves. We don't do hats and gloves here, you know, which are really popular items, but we don't have them at this store. However, you can buy them online. And again, it's like suddenly the information, it's not information overload. It's all really relevant to their search. Their search was shoe shops in Guildford. And so, you know, boots shops in Guildford, something like that. And then they landed on this store page and then had some sort of journey as a result, which I think is really key. I completely agree. Um, and I think that, I think, and I'm sure that the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is, is getting across, because you've given a, a prime example there, that the old school way of, of kind of, that a lot of people are probably a little bit more aware of is, you know, that old school way of having a list of keywords just doesn't suffice anymore, but it needs to go greater than that. Each kind of search query has has something called, it's like an entity and it has lots of, of relationships with other keywords. I'm going to talk about entities maybe later in, our, in, in this talk. But there's lots of relationships with other words and those words all have relevance. And, you know, search engines like Google really understand that. And so ensuring that, you know, a topic or a group of keywords or words around a specific phrase that you are trying to optimize for are included in your thought process is really, really important because that will help your, your site come up in search results. Absolutely. And to take a slight turn here now and talk about learnings from keywords, like I think similar to you, I, I don't know if it was two years ago, I think it was slightly earlier for me, but then as you know, my, my, my background sort of five years ago was I went down the consultative route. So I wasn't being asked to optimize sites necessarily. That was all a kind of given. I was being asked those big questions of, we've got these words, what do they all mean? And then I had this kind of brainwave one afternoon, like, it sounds like you've had the same thing a few years ago. Ah, these aren't just words, as you say, that we should include in the site. 
we can learn so much about the customer. So do you, do you want to talk us through, Chris, just what can we learn? from? So, we, you know, we've got a list of keywords on a spreadsheet. We know how many people are looking for them. Give us some examples of learnings, things we can pull out from that data that we can then make a change on our website. Yeah, so I think, interestingly, like, I'll, I'll give slightly two examples here. One is about in cha- things you can change to your site. But the, fir- the first, actually, is more about, like, products and product lines. One of the best things um, I remember doing in the early stages of running Kids Dreams and was we began to track and we began to get this very good idea of the search queries that were actually going on um, on site on our website. And obviously, we had data as well that we pulled from a third-party tool and um, Google Search Console at the time to look at search queries that were coming into our site. And the combined data of those, those two bits of data was actually one of the greatest areas that we began to find and decide on new product lines that we were going to um, introduce to our website. It gave a very clear indication as to what um, customers were looking for. So where we might have had, as an example, we might have had a specific section um, on arts and crafts for, for children, we almost overnight would be able to quite comfortably and safely decide on product lines that we were going to invest in, so spend our money on buying stock, because we knew there was a strong demand for them. So, you know, I would say really think about your use of, of data from that perspective. Sorry, just to interject quickly, Chris, and that just, just for everybody's benefit, because again, I, I know that I see the sort of questions we get after podcasts. Just to clarify, when Chris talks about site search, that's literally the search box on your own website. So somebody's within your site already and they sort of looking around, they're like, oh my gosh, do these guys sell arts and crafts sets? They search arts and crafts at the top. And as Chris said, you can use a tool to monitor them. You can also use Google Analytics. So there's probably some really good guides if you go on Google and just search how to record site search on Google Analytics. And then as Chris says, you can get a list of all the very specific things people have typed into that box within your website. And as Chris said, you've then got that buying intent, what they're actually looking for. So, And um, just for the, the, the interest of all the listeners, that, the Google Analytics option is 100% free. You know, um, if you're using something like Shopify, you might have to get, you know, a little bit of time from your dev agency to help you just kind of wire that all up. But, you know, there's no ongoing cost to have that data. We had a third-party tool that we used that we paid for, which was a little bit more advanced. But, you know, the data coming from from analytics, which we did have for about two, three months, is really, really good as well. So if you're not doing that, it's a no-brainer, really. But from a site point of view, I think the biggest thing that, that really kind of affected us at the time and, you know, moving forward in recent years is really just looking at the information architecture of, of our site and how much that would be affected. You know, how customers actually navigate through our, our sites and all sites was does become affected by the data that we can have and pull from various tools. So, you know, as you start to look at that and begin to think about, well, you know, I've got a really strong kind of amount of intent around a specific product category, that can really determine and give you some strong guidance as to how you structure that. Thinking about the, the ordering and the priority of your product categories, it can give you some strong guidance and strong indicators on that. So I would be saying you want to be using it in those ways. Sure. And I think that's one thing we're going to talk about in the content one a little bit. But certainly, if you look at a keyword and people are searching, uh, you know, men's size eight boots, for example, or Chelsea boots, which is a style of boot that lots and lots of different retailers sell. So if somebody's looking up size nine Chelsea boots, you need a page that's called or at least references size nine Chelsea boots. Otherwise, you're never going to rank. So in terms of 
you know, we've got this big list of keywords now and, and we're going to start putting them onto the site. We were always having those conversations with clients where they're like, you know, I'll give an example of an insurance company that we work with. And they, they were saying to us, right, we want to be number one for a key person insurance. And we said, yeah, fine, we can do that overnight, but nobody looks for that. They don't call it key person insurance or perhaps they do, but what they'll actually call it is director insurance because the key person is the director or the head of accounts or your most technical person in the business. It's sort of like if they disappear, we want to have an insurance policy to get somebody else in freelance temporarily or, or actually just to pay us back for all the loss of earnings we've had without that person there. So again, they, they may not know that it's called key person, they may not know that it's, uh, you know, has indemnity insurance and all this. They'll just go on Google and search, how do I insure my best team members? So actually having an FAQ or a blog is really, really key to that. And I think, again, we'll come on to that a little bit more in the content, but I think it's worth referencing today because what I don't want is people to get to the end of this podcast, have this beautiful list of keywords and some cool data, and then they're sitting there going, so what, do I just mention all of these keywords on every page? Again, we'll cover that when we, when we reach that, that episode. But my, my next question for you, Chris, is we've got all these words. You know, somebody's sat there and written on a notepad or written in Excel or something. You know, we want to rank for uh, this type of shoe, this type of shoe, men's, women's, etc. What do they do next? Like, is there, and I know the answer to this is yes, which is why I'm asking, but what, so I'm going to rephrase it. What's the best tool or a nice free place they can go to find out are these the right keywords? Is this what people look for? Where can they where can they get some of that data? Obviously, you've spoken about on-site, but is there, you know, what, what's the best other tool that they can, can go and use? So I've got a couple of good tools that I work with. Some are, um, and, and none, none of these are very expensive at, at all. Most of them do have a cost of some nature, but there are some free ones out there that you can use to give some indication. So if you really don't have any budgets that can use to start off doing research, you know, Google's um, keyword suggestion tool is something pretty useful you can use. You just need a Google Ads um, account. You can open up and not actually, you know, do any spend in per se, but still have access to the tool. Uh, and that's a good entry-level way to go. And that's called Keyword Planner, just so everyone can Google the right thing. Yeah, Keyword Planner. And if you've got a little bit of extra money to budget-wise, I am a big advocate, and, and I think SEO Monitor is an absolutely fantastic tool, and it's not dreadfully expensive at all. I think anybody who has got, you know, a small to medium-sized e-commerce store, you know, should be able to spend a bit of time and, and money using something like SEO Monitor. You can start off with, you know, a cost of about fifty dollars a month, which is really not a huge amount of money for something really important. Same as a product or two, isn't it? Absolutely. And what we're talking about getting thousands of sales here in the long run. Exactly. And so, you know, tools like SEO Monitor will not only allow you to do your keyword research, but also allow you to do a lot more tracking and analysis of your organic search campaigns as well. There's other tools out there. I think that things like SEM Rush isn't too bad. I've used that in the past. But there's another one that I've used a fair bit over the years on and off called SE Cockpit. I think that's a good little tool as well. I think it's about, again, about 40 or $50 a month, maybe even less. And that that's you know specifically focused focus on just keyword research. So that, those are three that I that I would be using and before I you know kind of you know really get into the throes of of kind of what my content topics that I need to be working around and, and how am I going to optimize them on the page. Sadly, I think nowadays there's there's not like a a single magic box we can kind of almost tick to 
to do all this. It, is, it does require a process. So one of your old colleagues said something to me years ago, and it was when you were running your furniture business before you came back in, and we were doing a bit of work for your, your last agency. And he said to me, well, look, tools are only as good as the person wielding them. And that has stuck in my, you probably know who I'm talking about now. Um, it's stuck in my brain like an absolute sort of gem. Like, you know, when Aladdin goes in the cave and there's that one big diamond, that is my diamond in my brain is the, the tools that are only as good as the person wielding them. So I agree. Fantastic tools. We use some of those. We have some other ones we've made our, ourselves. We use uh, separate tools that we white label to do keyword tracking every day. It's a, but I think I just want to really make the point, And I always make this point when we're talking about any kind of tools, apps, plugins. Don't, don't get Moz or you know, SEM Rush or SEM. Don't get this and think SEO is done or think it's going to tell you what to do. They will try. But every business is so unique. So go into it thinking, this is going to speed up things for me. So I'm not going to have to find every keyword. It's going to suggest stuff. It's also going to uh, speed up the monitoring. So I'm not going to have to go on Google um, and do 100 searches every day and click through 100 pages or 10 pages to try and find where I'm ranking. It will monitor the ranking for you. What it won't do, though, it, it, it might tell you how well optimized your pages are. It won't come back and say, do you know what? all your customers are searching up this keyword. So that's a blog post or an FAQ that should link through to products. And then you can monitor where you rank on Google for that page, see who comes through. You then might want to change the wording. You might want to change your product range. It's not going to do any of that, but you will need to do that to be successful in SEO. One thing I love about SEO, and you've touched this already, Chris, is just that SEO is essentially giving your customers A, what they want, and B, what they need. And I think that's another important point to make is and I'll give you an example of this. We're working with quite a large uh, international retailer. They've got, I think, one and a half thousand stores globally. So they're absolutely enormous, billions of dollars going through the business every year. And we optimize their store pages. So if you looked up the name of, I won't say who they are, because I'm going to share a couple of bits of info. But if you were to search up their name and then say Edinburgh or London or New York to try and find the nearest store, if you search that, you would, after our optimization was done, you would find their store page on the website. So it would say such and such Edinburgh, and you'd land on that page. And then when we looked at SEO traffic landing on that page, there was a conversion rate. So there was revenue associated with people landing there. So our analysis, which was very, very quick, it was a kind of, oh, obviously they're doing this, was that people were looking for a store, realized you can buy online. Uh, store footfall has been going up year on year, every year anyway. And then we suddenly had these extra transactions popping up online, almost like the customer had gone, oh, I didn't know you could buy online. Or, yeah, I was looking for that store, but actually it's just started to rain. I'll have a look at the online range, which was completely different to each store. The online store was essentially its own product range, its own warehouse in its own right. They basically treated it as if it was a physical store, just with a, a virtual, you know, digital online storefront. And it was the biggest store for that reason. But Again, it had a different product range and they found things online that perhaps they didn't find in store. And also there was also a time delay between it. So people then realized, well, I can buy online. So they may have then gone in store and come back afterwards. So just because their buying intent or their intent, sorry, on, on Google was to find the local store doesn't necessarily therefore mean that they didn't then just go online and buy something anyway. So actually the fact that we're looking for a physical location and bought online shows you that one of my hypotheses in life is do customers really know what they want? Obviously not. So they know to a degree, I want some shoes, but I can almost guarantee the longer I spend online looking up these shoes and in investigating time into them and trying to find out what's going on, the higher the chance I'm not going to buy the shoes that I first Googled. 
I'm probably going to have my decision influenced, which is good news for retailers because it means you can actually do some marketing. You can push your more expensive products. You can push a, a care kit with your product. You can push multiple products to increase average order value. And all of this helps SEO. You know, It comes back to keywords to learn what they're looking for. And then over time, you can start to learn that anyone who looks for like a five or 10 pounds or five or 10 dollars craft kit from your website for you know craft project for their kids if one in five of those then actually spends 500 pounds or dollars and buys something a bit more expensive then actually you're you know you're starting to starting to look like a much much better retailer and you're making a lot more money and in google's eyes well yeah we'd happily send more traffic to you because people who go there have a good experience and they buy way more than they were looking for that's good user experience. And I think all of that is very important. Yeah, it's a really, really good example you, you've given there, Nick. Like, like yourself, I spent the last two years working on a luxury furniture retailer at about 40 or 50 stores around the UK. And we felt that the example you gave right there was exactly an outcome that we found as well. So they come in and then you upsell the next thing. and Yeah, so really, really understanding, you know, the, 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 I repeat myself, you know, the days of just having a keyword list really are gone. It's understanding a specific topic or subject area around a keyword, a keyword search query, their intent, and you know, what are the related, what are the, what relationship does that search query have to a whole of other words? Because a little bit earlier on, you gave an example of there's a question relating to a product, and having that understanding, having that grasp um, of that is really critical because Google will look at all those relationships. Um, and one just little bit of advice I would say, you know, if you're using an agency and I've worked in many agencies and, you know, they are working with a whole list of, of keywords and search queries. Um, I'm not trying to knock agencies here by any stretch of the imagination. My, my advice to yourself would be is work with them really closely because you will be and you being the kind of brand advocate for whoever you're working with, you will be the person that understands your customers the best and understands your products the best. So you'll be able to advise and give direction on how to use them. So as Nick was saying, just having a tool that spits up some data, it's just not enough. You need to really think it through. Definitely. And, and just to plug, I plugged it on the last episode as well. I did an episode a few episodes ago where it was just me, t- me talking, having a little bit of a rant, but basically talking about being a good client, being a good supplier. I, I'd had five emails, I think, that week from, well, not me, but both, both the businesses, Spec and Just Ask Parker, five odd emails from people saying that we've used loads of agencies. I just want to know why you're the best option for us. And so go and listen to that. Go and listen to that episode if you want, because it's exactly what Chris has just said, which is great to hear. It's a validated thing. You know, that Kevin we had on last week was saying the same sort of thing. And it's, it, it is really, really important. But um, l- last question from me, Chris, and I, I asked if the, quite a few of our guests, and it was on the list as well. So hopefully it won't be too much of a surprise. And it's very much an open question, not a yes, no. But Shopify, is it good for SEO? Yeah, when I ran my um, e-commerce business going back 10 years ago, Shopify had, was, was kind of just entering the market space. And I wish it had been as mature as it is now, because I would have gone with it. Um, we actually went ahead and built like a built a custom platform, which was uh, a lot of hard work and a bit of a nightmare. Shopify is a good e-commerce platform, but it is that it is a platform, and it will provide you with the means to put in place the technical basics for you to start working on your SEO. And it's not at all bad per se for SEO. But it's important to really acknowledge that it's a platform and it will just give you the means to, to have a head start on working on your organic search campaigns and search traffic. So it's not bad, but just bear in mind that, you know, it is a platform to be used um, and it will, it will help you get from point A 
to point B. I think it's a very, very good way of putting it. And I regularly get tagged on, um, and please don't go and look me up. I don't use it very often, but Twitter. Whenever I go on Twitter, I'm always tagged on five or six Shopify threads. And there's always this big debate of, Nick, you're always banging on about Shopify and how great it is as a platform. And But then this, these people have just outlined 50 different things on Shopify that are really bad for SEO. And as Chris said, I, I like it because it, it what it will do is it will give you that platform. So you can click a button and upload a product. If you go down the custom route or even use something more advanced like Magento 2, if you're a one-person business, Magento 2 is a heck of a lot of work for not much output compared to what Shopify will offer you. However, we do launch a lot of big businesses at the moment on Shopify Plus. From a technical point of view and the budgets they have, I don't always recommend Shopify Plus probably only 30-40% of the time to larger businesses. And the reason I do that is they have very, very custom requirements, specific things they need to happen, or even stuff that's in the brand's DNA that's like, you know, we always offer next day completely free, fully refunded returns. How's this site going to deal with that? We need to have a page. And it's suddenly like, well, that's another seven days worth of build time to your developers to make that happen. And there's things like that, which are curveballs. But the reason people are moving to Shopify is they need that ease. You know, it gets to a point where it's like, do you know what? Half this technical SEO stuff that we're trying to achieve on our existing platform is just not worth it. If we could just write a blog post with the title, this keyword or this problem or this, if we could just do that simply, then we would be making way more money and Google would probably rank us better anyway, regardless of some of the technical restrictions. I I, I mean, I get, I get, I do get what you're saying. I've heard people complain about the likes of Shopify or Magento. And let me just say that I've worked on Magento sites as well, and they've also got their their kind of problems from an SEO point of view. And all these platforms will have some like kind of issue with SEO, but they're all are technical issues. And I think we can get easily get bogged down in all the technicals bits and pieces when we should be focusing on our customer, you know, their intent and developing. And you can do this in another um, podcast developing fantastic content. You know, Shopify, um, I'm sure, depending on where you are in the world, Shopify is the platform that Gymshark uses. Gymshark has just been valued at a £1.8 billion company. They started up in Shopify. They went to Magento. They left Magento and came back to Shopify because Magento let, let them down so heavily on, on one Christmas uh, a couple of years ago. So I've always thought if it's good enough for Gymshark, it's got to be doing something right. So I would say, you know, if you have, if you are a small e-commerce company, you've got a small agency helping you, and they're complaining about Shopify and all the technical issues around it, I would almost be advising don't don't get too bogged down there because it, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole that possibly won't really help your business grow as much as you want it to. Yeah, definitely. And I think some very valid points there. And there's a really good video that you just referenced um, about Gymshark on YouTube. I think it's on Shopify's channel, which won't surprise you. This kind of like, we hit go on the Magento store, it fell over and collapsed overnight. But anyway, Chris, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope this has been useful for everybody listening. We'll probably have Chris on the show again at some point in the future. He's told me in secret what he's going to do next. So in a year's time, I think we'll certainly get you back, Chris, to come and hear how that's going. Maybe sooner as well, depending on how quickly you get get things up and running. But uh, 
yeah, again, thank you so much for being on the show. If people haven't subscribed yet, please go and hit the button. Um, it really does support the show and it keeps us wanting to do it. We're getting thousands of new listeners at the moment and we're really keen to keep that growth and, uh, and also keep things pushing on nicely. So please support the show. We've got a Facebook group called Winning with Shopify if you want to go and check that out. Next week, I've been told since we hit record on this, we're probably going to have the technical person in next week. If not, it'll be content. Again, those two, they, they, they really do go hand in hand as a, as a process. So it doesn't really matter which way around we have them. But I think we are going to have the technical person next week talking about technical SEO optimization through Shopify. So please tune into that. If you want to send us any feedback, please do. And apart from that, I will speak to you all again next week. Thank you very much. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.